The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Today's sermon is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. This is about really reinforcing our vision of what it means to be a people centered around the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And today we are seeing the good news applied to our sexuality. Author G.K. Chesterton once told a parable about a fence, saying, you see a fence, and one person says, tear it down, it's hindering progress. The other person says, let's stop until someone figures out why this fence is here. So two responses, tear it down, tear that fence down, or pause, stop, and ask, why is this fence here? I share that because in verse 18, we find a fence. The fence reads, flee from sexual immorality. The Greek word is one you might know. It's porneia. It applies to any sexual activity outside of marriage. That includes adultery. It includes fornication. I think it would easily apply to use of pornography. I think we should also apply it to our own hearts as Jesus addresses our hearts in the area of lust in the Sermon on the Mount. From it all, God says, flee, run, don't walk. That's the fence. Not because our sexuality is somehow bad. It's a gift from God. But in his wisdom and in his love, he puts this fence around the confines of marriage. Regarding Sexual activity outside of that fence, he says, flee from it. I want to ask you, how do you view that fence? How do you think about that fence? I mean, how is that fence landing on you right now? Whether you're single, married, whatever your situation, what's your, what's your inclination toward that fence God gives us here. Our culture says, and, and our own hearts can say, knock that baby down. That fence is hindering our freedom. It's hindering our autonomy. That fence is harmful to us, in fact. But God is saying, stop. Pause. 
and ask, why is that fence there? I mean, do you know why, friends? Could you articulate right now why God has put that fence there? Well, he shows us here in a very interesting way. The why here for the fence has to do with our bodies and the gospel. It's a fascinating passage. Here we find how the good news relates to our bodies. It's really a gospel-infused theology of the body. And we find, in summary, we find that the gospel, the good news, is to govern how we use our bodies, sexually speaking. That's my high-level summary, if you want a takeaway point. That the gospel, the good news, is to govern how we use our bodies in this arena. And we find that here, that connection between the gospel and our bodies, as relates to the future and the present and the past. So that's my outline, if you will. Relating to the future and the present and the past, let's see this connection between the gospel and our physical bodies first as it relates to the future. First, we find here that our bodies will be raised with Christ. So first of all, our bodies will be raised, raised with Jesus Christ. You see, some here in the church in Corinth were frequenting prostitutes, it seems, and it seems they were rationalizing behavior with a couple of slogans like the one captured in verse 12. All things, it says, all things are lawful for me. So Christian freedom, right? This is lawful, they said. And the apostle says, well, yes, things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, starting with this behavior. So the Corinthians had a wrong view of freedom and, relatedly, a wrong view of the body. Another slogan seems to be captured in verse 13. Food, it says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And the apostle responds, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but, notice, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What's he saying here? Seems to be saying, yes, in response to your slogan, yes, what food that goes into your body is spiritually unimportant. There's not a great eternal difference whether this afternoon you put a hot dog in your body or Brussels sprouts in your body. But that does not mean that physical intimacy with your body is similarly unimportant. Your body matters, he's saying. It's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And the proof, the proof of that is in verse 14. Here's where the gospel comes in. Verse 14, and God raised the Lord. God raised the Lord Jesus. He resurrected the Lord Jesus bodily, physically. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up bodily by his power. So catch this. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that our bodies matter in this arena. Easter is proof that our bodies matter in this regard. It's the good news being applied for a theology of the body. For all who believe, 
you will have an embodied existence forever in a renewed creation. Take that in. You will have an embodied, a glorified body, an embodied existence forever in a renewed creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Your body will be raised with Christ. That means, God is saying, your body matters now. I mentioned recently my Toyota Corolla. I, I, I need to be a little bit clearer. I own the Corolla. My kids now drive the Corolla. That's how it works when you get older. But imagine, I'm not prophesying here, but imagine God announcing later the Toyota Corolla will be the official car of the new heavens and the new earth. That this could happen. That on the last day, God will raise up all Toyota Corollas to be used in the renewed creation. That's what you're going to use to drive around in the renewed creation. The Toyota Corolla. Congratulations. How would that affect your view of Corollas now? If you knew all Corollas will be raised on the last day, would that change how you viewed Corollas now? I hope so. That you might be driving down the freeway later today and see a Corolla and say, be careful, don't hurt that Corolla. It's going to be raised one day. And so it matters now. It sounds silly when it relates to a Corolla, but that's what God is saying about your body, your body. You'll be raised with Christ one day. So how you use it in this regard matters now. That doesn't mean you have to train for a triathlon tomorrow. It's fine. It doesn't mean you should eat only vegetables. Fine if you do, fine if you don't. But it does mean what we do with our bodies has meaning and has significance. See, the, the message of our culture in this regard the message of our culture is physical intimacy is just one more use of your body, like eating and drinking. It's just one more bodily function. Swipe right or swipe left, whichever it is, I don't know, and go use your body with somebody. It doesn't matter. It's just a physical function, bodily function. God says not true. Your body is for the Lord. It'll be raised with him one day. This can be very helpful for us, friends, very empowering for us. It can help us be like Joseph in Egypt. Remember Joseph? Potiphar's wife had been after him all the time. Lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. Finally, one day, she grabs onto Joseph. I mean, think about temptation grabbing you. This literally happened for Joseph. Potiphar's wife grabs Joseph and says, lie with me. What does he do? He flees. He gets his body out of there. That's how we can be helped by this gospel theology here. When we're convinced that our bodies matter in this regard, that our, our eyes matter, what we look at, that our, our hands matter, that with whom we relate sexually with our bodies matter. You might ask yourself, is there some way God has been calling you 
to flee. Some circumstance you find yourself in. And the Holy Spirit's been saying, this is dangerous for you. You really should flee. Or maybe there's a, a website. There's a circumstance like that where God is saying, flee. Right there, apply the good news. Your body, your body will be raised with Christ one day. So it matters now. That's the first way the gospel is to govern how we use our bodies in this regard. That's the future reason, you might say. Then a present-related reason. A present-related reason. Secondly, secondly, our bodies are joined to Christ. Our bodies will be raised with Christ. And secondly, our bodies are joined to Christ. For the Christian, your body is united to Christ. This is very fascinating. In verse 15, God asks the following, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now, God is referring to how the believer in Jesus is joined to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. So we are, you are, Christian, in spiritual union with Jesus. But notice here that spiritual union entails our bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He expects we know this. I think this is because we are embodied spirits right now. This is not simply a spiritual reality. It is that, as he'll say in verse 17, but it entails, he's saying, our physical being as embodied spirits. So right now, in a real sense, for you, Christian, your body is a member of Christ's body on the earth. So the apostle then asks next, shall I take the members of Christ, speaking of your body, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Answer, never. No, no. No, I don't want to take a member of Christ and, and join to another body illicitly outside of God's design, outside of that fence. And then he explains, verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined, or you might say literally glued, he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body, and as you explain what he's talking about, he cites the first marriage. For, for as it is written in Genesis chapter 2, the two will become one flesh. That's the first marriage between Adam and Eve. And it's a paradigm for all marriages that follow. There are a lot of, number of, definitions floating around about marriage in our culture, but we should always go back to the blueprint. Like Jesus does when he talks about marriage, he always goes back to the blueprint, God's original design. That's what the apostle's doing here. Let's go back to God's design. Let's go back to the paradigm. In that paradigm, the two became one flesh. There's a kind of 
spiritual union before God that God expressed in a physical union. Maybe this would be helpful. A couple of, a number of years ago now, the governor of South Carolina sadly was found to be committing adultery. The story broke, if you recall the story, when he told his staff he had been hiking the Appalachian Trail when he was really in South America with this woman who was not his wife. And then to his shame and his wife's pain, he called the other woman, quote, his soulmate. His soulmate. Now, I think that he was more theologically correct than he realized. that they probably did feel like soulmates. They probably did feel some spiritual connectedness because of their physical union. That's what God's getting at here. There are two unions being described, okay? Two unions being compared, you might say. Two unions being described. The first is a gospel union, Christ and his people, which includes our bodies, he says. The second is this sexual union, and God is saying that first union needs to govern the second union. That first union with Jesus that entails our bodies even, it needs to govern any other union with any other bodies. It's, it's the incongruity, he's saying, the incongruity of joining members of Christ to someone who's not our spouse. Now, I, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm not saying, God is not saying that sexual sin is the worst sin. He's not saying that. Okay, we're not seeking to repeat the errors of the purity culture, which made sexual sin the end-all, be-all in some ways. This is not about assigning the scarlet letter to someone who has sinned sexually. As my friend Marshall, I think, has rightly pointed out, the truth is all of us are sexual sinners in one way or another. But I realize that for people like me, with a past that I regret, and maybe for you, we wish that we could rewrite our history in this regard. And I want you to hear something. Christ has rewritten your history. He has rewritten your personal history in this regard and every other regard. You must remember the context of this passage. Look back to verse 9. Verse 9, friends. God says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, Corinthians. Such were some of you, Grace Church members. I think we could honestly say, in some form or fashion, such were all of us. Can't you identify with some category there in some fashion? And such were all of us. But notice, you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart as holy, 
You were justified, declared righteous through faith alone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Catch this. Washed, sanctified, justified. Jesus has rewritten your history. And so now he says, our union with Christ is to govern any other union with our bodies. This, again, can be very helpful and very empowering. I want you to be built up by this. Think about, think about use of pornography, which, which is available like never before. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. Multi-billion dollar harming many, many lives. So apply this truth to help you. What, what's happening more than likely, if, when, you might view pornography. What, what do you do in those times? You, more than likely, you are mentally joining yourself to that image on the screen. In some mental fantasy, we want to think of ourselves as somehow participating in our Mental fantasy, we are, as it were, taking a member of Christ and, in effect, joining that member of Christ to this image on the screen. In our minds, at least, track with me, in our minds, at least, we're saying, Hey, Jesus, I'm taking part of your body and joining it to that right there. Let us say with the apostle in verse 15, never or never again. Or God, help me never again. I don't want to take, even in my mind, a member of Christ and join it mentally to a pornographic image. Because my body is joined to Jesus, I'm in union with Christ. Are you seeing how, how powerful this gospel theology of our bodies can be? As it relates to the future, our bodies will be raised with Christ. As it relates to the present, our bodies are joined to Christ. And then, and then a past connection, you might say, a past connection. Thirdly, our bodies have been purchased by Christ. And certainly the entirety of our being, but the body is especially in view here. Thirdly, our bodies, our bodies have been purchased, purchased. By Christ. Verse 19 now. Another kind of rhetorical question. Do you not know? One more time. Do you not know that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Powerful words. Human autonomy gets called onto the carpet here. Friends, you are not your own. In fact, Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells within your body. God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit in the present because of what has already happened to you in the past. Verse 20. Verse 20. For, for, you were bought with a price. If you've yet to believe on Jesus Christ, I just ask you to tune in closely here. For you were bought with a price. You see, all of us arrived into this world 
enslaved to a sinful condition. No exceptions. But Jesus Christ endured your judgment, the just judgment of God, in your place for all who believe. He paid your ransom price, your get-out-of-jail-free card. He atoned for your sin. He washed you, sanctified you, justified you. Christ entered the slave market of humanity to purchase you, free you, and make you his own. That's why the Christian must no longer think that you are your own, because you're his. Gloriously, wondrously, graciously, mercifully, ransomed from our slavery, if you turn to him believing, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, you will then be owned by another, by Jesus. This, friends, again, is vitally important in our day and every day. Vitally important. Carl Truman has written a couple of, couple of books on the, the sexual ethic today and, and how we got here, how we got here. And I confess I've not read these books. I've read some um, summaries of these books. Um, but he sums up the problem with the term. I don't know that he coined this, but the phrase is helpful. He calls it expressive individualism. That's, that's how we got here in some respects. Expressive individualism, the idolatry of human autonomy, and that is another slavery. That is a form of slavery, friends. That's just being a slave to ourselves. And Christ here sets us free for true freedom when we know we are His and thus no longer our own. That's what Christ is offering us here. True freedom of knowing and enjoying him that we might no longer live for ourselves, but do the end of verse 20 instead. So glorify God in your body. Do you see that? Now, catch this, now our sexuality becomes a stage upon which to glorify Christ. What sounds like a prohibition merely, a fence to keep you from really living. Teenagers, catch this. What sounds like a fence to keep you from the good stuff in life, no, is actually an opportunity for true freedom that you might glorify Christ in your body. That's what he holds out to you. Apply the good news to your sexuality and it becomes an arena in which to honor and glorify Jesus with your body. The church father, Augustine, knew this. Fifth century, he had lived a very wayward life, breaking his mother, Monica's heart. In fact, I don't know if you know this, that Santa Monica, California, is named for Augustine's mother, Monica, and her tears over her son, Augustine. But he came to Christ, was a new creation in Christ. One day, the story is told, he, he saw on the street a former mistress of his, and he turned to go the other way, and the woman called out, Augustine, it is I! And Augustine kept going and answered, yes, but it is not I. In other words, I'm under new ownership. I'm no longer my own. I've been purchased at a great price to glorify him in my body. 
That's what we're talking about. Whether you're single or married, younger or older here, this is how to think and desire and live. In light of the gospel, in light of the good news, you are now freed to flee, you might say. Freed to flee and glorify him with your body. So, from fantasizing about someone who is off limits for you, you are freed to flee because you are his. From from the lust of the eyes, from using your eyes to fixate on someone in an inappropriate manner, you are now freed to flee because you are Christ's. From pornography or adultery or anything outside of that fence, you are free to flee and glorify him with your body. The gospel, friends, is to govern what we do with our bodies sexually. I thought about driving over. I thought about the single adults here that we love so much and cherish and respect so deeply. And you might find yourself at times understandably thinking, I wonder if this biblical sexual ethic is worth it. Friend, he's saying, yes, you are glorifying Christ with your body. I thought about you teenagers and how you need an inoculation from cultural pressures that wants to knock down this fence and see instead, here's true freedom in Jesus for you. I thought about married couples who need fresh motivation to guard your marriage, to guard your marriage by what you do with your body that you might glorify Christ. The gospel is to govern what we do with our bodies sexually. So how might we do that? Joshua is always reminding me, Tab, try to get a little more practical sometimes. How might we do that? Let me give you a few practical thoughts. Bring God's word to bear in this arena. Bring God's word to bear. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about Psalm 119.11. Store up his word in your heart to not sin against him. You might memorize. Memorize verses 19 and 20. Just, just these two sentences. Just memorize this. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That would be so helpful if we memorized that. Bring God's word to bear. Secondly, bring God's spirit to bear through prayer. Bring God's spirit to bear through prayer. 2 Corinthians 3, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, a little bit at a time. This comes from the Lord, who is the spirit, the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is changing us from within. So pray for the spirit's power. Pray for his help. He is eager to help you and me. And third, bring God's people to bear. God's word, God's spirit through prayer, and God's people, God's people through fellowship. We need, friends, we need one another. That we might not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews chapter 3. We need community. We need fellowship to help one another in this arena. Talk to the men or women in your home group in your gender-specific meetings. Let's be real with each other. Right? Let's be real with each other to get real help from God. 
But maybe most of all, maybe most of all, bring the gospel to bear. Bring the gospel to bear on your desires. Bring the gospel to bear on what you want. For as Thomas Chalmers called it, a, the, the expulsive power of a, a new affection. Bring the gospel to bear for a new affection, a new desire to glorify Christ in your body. Think about, and I'll wrap up with this. Think about the book of Hosea. God tells the prophet Hosea, go and marry a wife of whoredom, an unfaithful woman, to show the spiritual unfaithfulness of his people. So the prophet Hosea takes a wife named Gomer, and they have a child. Great. Happily ever after. No. Gomer seems to return to her unfaithful ways. She bears a second child. It's named No Mercy. She bears a third child named Not My People. The implication seems to be Hosea is not the father. But God says to Hosea, quote, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man. So Hosea goes and looks for Gomer. And it appears, it appears, finds her in the slave market. It appears she has so, so sold herself to her immorality, she's now a slave of some kind, in her shame, in her guilt. But Hosea buys her back. In fact, he pays half of the price for a slave. She's not even worth full price anymore to her enslavers. They're just trying to get her off the shelf. She's just so much unwanted merchandise. Hosea buys her back, takes her home, and says, you must dwell as mine. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of the good news. Because you and I were in the slave market of our sin, filthy in our guilt, covered in our shame, no hope, no way out, just standing there in the slave market, hopeless and helpless, slaves to ourselves, slaves to the illusion of human autonomy, until the Father said, I purchase you and you and you and you and you with the blood of my Son. My Son has borne your shame in full. My Son has taken your guilt. I I place my spirit within you as my own very temple. You are washed, sanctified, justified. You've been bought at so great a price. When you meditate on that, doesn't it give you a new desire? This is a hard area. When you meditate on that, doesn't it give you a new affection? a new longing to do verse 20 and glorify Christ. Glorify Christ in your body. The gospel, friends, the good news is to govern what we do with our bodies. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment to interact with God. Because this is such a real, practical, and oftentimes challenging arena. Respond to whatever the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about.
or maybe come to Christ even now for the first time. And where he's been granting you the gift of conviction, friends, that is a gift. That is his love. Respond to him. Our Lord is eager to forgive. He has washed you. Sanctified you. Declared you righteous before him through faith alone. Be cleansed. Be hopeful. And rejoice. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for true freedom. Thank you for rescuing me from my slavery in this regard. Thank you for rewriting our personal history. For all who believe that we would now stand before you washed sanctified, set apart as holy, justified, declared righteous through faith alone. We can't thank you enough. Let this gospel, let this good news so resonate in our hearts, our desires, our affections that we long, that we have a passion to use our bodies to bring glory to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.